0: be plenty of other people who might not be very familiar. So first of all, would you would you just love to introduce yourself? Tell tell, tell us a little bit something about yourself.
1: Uh, I can tell you a little for the first two questions and then my main is the the third question. Uh, I'm Maureen Clayton from a little mining village near Doncaster. My grandparents got saved during Stephen and George Jeffrey's campaigns and all the family got, well, most of the family got saved during that time. And my grandparents started the little Pentecostal church in our village, which back then, when I was a kid, was exactly the same as Hunter Street. And when I walked into Hunter Street, it was like, oh, <laughs> I'm coming back to when I was a kid. And um, when I was about 11, we, we bought uh, some more land in another part of the village and we built a big brick church. I'm telling you that because it fits in with something else. I'll tell you later. Go on then. Next question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really good. Um, you kind of start telling us a little bit about how you became a Christian and how you encountered God's love. Give yeah, us a bit more. Yeah, when about.
1: I when I was about five, I remember getting a little book with a picture of Mary and Joseph and the baby, and the words that I actually said at Christmas was, you know, the words from the carol. What can I give him, poor as I am, if I was a wise man, what, you know, what would I do? And uh, that stuck out to me, even though I was very little. That is significant because my life has mainly been with children. And because I knew what I got when I was little, I know that they can get it. And, and uh, yeah, that's had an impact on me. Now, I don't know for people my age, you remember that beds were higher back then than they are now. They were on black like, legs. And I used to go under my bed and spend time with God, which, yeah, I didn't really get at the time, but obviously looking back on it, I can see how significant that was. Got the next question.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm always fascinated when when we talk about our journey of faith, not just about the good times, but the challenging times, because sometimes... In, in those seasons in life, we, we prove God, or God proves himself even more so. So I'm just interested in, in your journey of faith, if there have been any challenging times, and how have you experienced God's love and faithfulness in those times?
1: Well, like many brought up in my era, <laughs> we were only allowed to go out with people from our own kind of background. <laughs> and uh, I married a, a guy from Lincolnshire, Uh, He was a car mechanic at the time. Uh, He later moved into the coal fired power station that we had in Doncaster. We had three children Jane, Emma, and Adam. And uh, the church that I had said about uh, that we built, they started to build new houses nearby, and we bought one so we could be as near as possible um, because I was running a Mothers and Toddlers three days a week, and he was one of the leaders in the church. And um, so Uh, it was at this time that the church asked him to find uh, a coach and um, my coach stories are quite a lot that's why I'm telling you these so it was to find a coach and and so I could take the mothers and toddlers out a lot, particularly during the miners' strike when there was a, a lot of problems, to get those kiddies out to places was just amazing and so we went out to find a coach now it wasn't just for the mothers and toddlers it was actually for the church as well because we'd been brought up on a lot of stories about what god did back in those days you know and we were like well hang on we want to see him now we want to see what god is doing now and god was beginning to do things in lincoln uh we knew um, um john and muriel shelburne that ran the church there um We were friends of theirs. And so our church started to want to go over. And then Chris Bowater joined the church. And, like, you know, we'd been singing the same choruses for years. And here Chris came with this freshness and brightness and full of God. You know, here I am, wholly available. Uh, Things like that were just like, wow, we couldn't get enough of it. And so we were going out on this coach regularly. (laughs) Like I said, with him being a mechanic and um, that was fine except that you know changing a wheel wasn't just like that size anymore it was now blah, blah, blah. and charging batteries as well that was horrendous Um, and so um, but then a bit after God actually spoke to us as a family saying get out of the land of your forefathers like with Abraham we didn't know where to go because that's all we'd ever had and so God made it God showed us that this thing was happening in town in Doncaster it was called Reach Out and it was kind of house church but it had grown uh to be in a building because so many had started to come so for me it was good because like there was all these people from different denominations that got filled up the Holy Spirit and it was like wow this is like really good because I've been brought up in such a narrow-minded church really so uh yeah it, that was really exciting for us um, I was asked to be in charge of Sunday school and I had it one bit about hundred kids. So it wasn't a little Sunday school, you know what I mean? So again, I'm involved with children and my husband was one of the leaders again. Um, then one day God said to me, I don't know if anybody's ever noticed my necklace. I know I show it to quite a few people, but God said to me, look at the acacia tree. My necklace is an acacia tree. Um, I didn't know what it meant. We didn't have Google in those days. And I ended up going down to Columba Park, walking around looking at trees like an idiot. Um, Didn't know what it meant at all. Found that the Ark of the Covenant was made of that wood, but that didn't mean anything either. And my pastor at the time just said, one day you will know. And yeah, one day I did. If I forget to tell you that bit, ask me about it. (laughs) Um, And back then, uh, Eastern Europe was starting to open up. My husband started to um, take uh, things out to Romania and um, Latvia, places like that. But we'd got friends that had a church in Yugoslavia. And obviously, Sasha, our friend, was a Serb. He was at Bible College in Croatia And they were told to kill each other basically. Well, obviously Sasha didn't want to do that. So these young men went and hid in the hills, in the mountains and they sent a message to my husband, please come and help. Um, And so um, I'd actually, I'd got like a dining room that I could dismantle my table to make more room. And I used to fill the house with all this stuff that I was collecting that would go out to Eastern Europe. And then uh, we were quite near Bortry Hall, so Bortry Hall actually offered me a couple of big rooms there. And so we were going out to um, <clears throat> Yugoslavia, but because it was a fighting place, they wouldn't allow us to rent, hire the lorries that we'd used. So uh, we've got all this stuff to go. My husband was upstairs praying. He came running down and he said, I've just got to go to work. And he went into work and outside the old power station was an old coach. As I say, coaches run through my life. Uh, there was this old coach and it hadn't been anywhere for a few years. I think it belonged to the uh, first aid team and they hadn't been doing much with it. And so, again, the batteries were flat, everything that to get them going. And, um, and so, the the power station actually offered it to him for free because of what he wanted to do with it. Now, you never actually ever hear anybody preach on Mrs. Noah. I honestly felt like Mrs. Noah the day that I was driving him to the coach to actually then drive out, and I was following this coach. It was dirty. hadn't been checked. hadn't been anywhere. And here we were going to take it across Europe. I mean, anybody would think we're stupid, but we were just doing what God was telling us because we'd kind of learnt a bit by this point. (laughs) And um, uh, we did manage to get it checked mechanically, But we managed to get the seats out and we filled it with all the aids that we'd got. And uh, we, my husband would only let men go because of it being a war zone at the time. And so that that went out there. And uh, so it was when they were there, that the the our friends in that church there told us about this church in kiev that wanted help so when we got back from that trip we started praying at our house over the next trip who was going to go to kiev now we didn't even have a map we tried to get a map but nobody had maps back then we'd got like you know an atlas so we had to go on that but as we prayed um God told us not to go, if you look at your map, not to go the straight route through Poland. We didn't know why, we later found out that the, the border crossing at Poland is, you know could take days. And so God had told us to go through Austria and Slovakia and up through the mountains there. And so we set off, this time women did go as well, and I went, um, and it was just amazing the the route that God took us, that totally relying on God for everything. When we got to that border point, uh, we met this man there and he told us, he said, don't drive in the dark. You know, the potholes are like awful. We didn't know any of that. And also we were told that we got to buy the, those vouchers there for fuel and all that stuff that we had no idea, you know, this guy just was telling us everything we needed um so that was an amazing trip god was just so amazing when we got into kiev it was a sunday about six o'clock time and we we pulled up outside this railway station and it was packed people were everywhere and we had no idea where the church was i mean it was before google days and all that you know and uh, so anyway, this man came up to the coach and kind of going like this to us, and we opened the door and he was going like this and more or less saying, "Wait here, I can go and get somebody." you know so he brought this uh, young lady who could speak English, so we showed her the address and we we got to the church and uh, the, the the church had left a man there uh, for us to to you know to get in. And that was just I've got lots of stories on that one, but I'm not going there today. But the, the, the pastor of that church had actually been in jail for years for being a pastor. He'd got two sons um, in the late teens, early 20s. And one of them had been praying for a guitar. And so you can guess what we took. We took a guitar. He was over the moon with that. And uh, so, yeah, when we got back from that one, um, the, I don't know if you remember, but the NEC used to have prayer times and um you'd go from all over england to the nec to pray, pray for revival yeah Pray
0: for revival yeah. yeah
1: and so it was a february and our jane went she'd got a little sheepskin coat and when she's in there that the prayer was like a harvest field and when she came out she'd got a little seed in the color of her coat and she put that little seed in a little container next to her bed. She, she believed it was from God. Um, the next bit is my husband came in one day, just saying God's telling him to pack his job in and buy a coach business. And it freaked me out, but just thought with God's saying it, you know, better do it. Um, and uh, it wasn't easy. Actually, when he went into work to say, um, they, they said, just hang on a minute, don't, you know, that's a bit crazy. And so he did wait a little while. And then we found out that the power station was actually closing down um, just after the miners' strike, the shutting coal five power stations and all that. So it was closing down, which meant he was going to get some money that we could buy the coach with. And then also, they, they did him his national and international licenses for, for running the coach and everything. Um, So then the timing was a bit better. Um, It was hard going. We had no idea what we were doing. Um, Yeah, it was just hard work. Meanwhile, go back to Jane. (laughs) Um, Jane knew that God was wanting her to go to Africa, but every door she tried closed. Now, my other daughter, Emma, she was at Bible College at this time, and a load of the students from the college was always around at our house. And so this young man called Maasai, he wasn't a Maasai, but his name was Maasai. He said to Jane, come to Mombasa. And at that, every door opened. So in 1996, she was in her early twenties and she went out to Mombasa and taking her seed with her. And she planted that seed out there and after she when she came back many people didn't know about the seed because she thought that people think she was stupid (laughs) uh but the words that she got from many people was the seed you have planted will feed thousands we've now fed even more than that um that was that bit uh yeah so she then met Glyn now Jane had been like all her life preparing for this and Glyn's like been saved like five minutes and I'm like Whoa, I'm not even allowing him in the house <laughs> I thought he would take her away from the vision, I was totally wrong and stupid but you know I was protecting the vision um, and so they got married and they went out for their honeymoon to there and this time she actually stayed in a hotel so at least they did have some water but she took him back to the base where she'd been staying and They invited him to preach there. He'd never preached before. She sat at the back of the class and was gobsmacked at what he was coming out with. He was relevant to the people. Uh, He he just was right for the job. And I had to admit to that when I went out a bit later. (laughs) Um, And so they kept coming home, but then going back for for, for longer periods. Um, And then we... Uh, registered the charity in 1999 and they went out full-time beginning of 2000 um it was at that time when the business was very difficult really we we kept having to buy better coaches for the jobs we were doing um but um, one of the jobs that we did was we pre- we picked some children up from Gatwick that had come from Chernobyl and we brought them up to Littledale Hall. Now we'd never been up here before. We had no idea where Littledale Hall was. So I don't know if anybody ever went to see these kids at Little Dale Hall, but it was us that brought them. And uh, so that that was that would be 1996, I think that was. Um, and, Yeah, another thing that had, had felt like a, th- a thud in my stomach, and I remember bending over, and God said to me, do you want to stay in the wilderness where you're seeing miracles every day, or do you want the promised land? And I said to God, I want the promised land. God said, it'll cost you. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. I never knew what that cost would have would, to be. Uh, like I say, the the business... We had no idea what we were doing. We'd been running it now for a few years, but we did Christian holidays. We picked a choir up from America, the, uh, from the airport, and we went around churches with them. Uh, but you know what? Keeping them coaches on the road was so difficult. Um, we did abroad. We did Scotland. We did uh, all kinds of stuff. But every penny that we made went back on new tyres and knew this and new that. Uh, we never made the money, I think, that we thought we'd make to get out to do a trips, you know, that never happened. And it was very difficult. And in 2002, we'd come in from, from one of the trips and we always sat together and prayed. And what had happened was one coach uh, needed a new windscreen and it was huge, really huge. I mean, it cost thousands. The other coach, some kids had got into the where I'd locked the door for the toilet. Some kids had got in and knocked that window out onto the A1 one day. (coughs) And I'm like, there's something wrong. And I said to him, is there something wrong? Like like A can, AI, is there something wrong that we're not seeing God's protection that we've seen over the years? And he said, no, everything was fine. Well, it wasn't. He had met a woman on one of the trips that I'd not gone on. And I didn't know. And at that, I just wanted out. I couldn't continue anymore. I cried out to God and I just said, you've got to be the God that I've worshipped all my life. Because if he wasn't, he wasn't God, was he? You know, he'd taken care of me up to now. And then this said, all like, <laughs> it was tough. Um, Jane and glen I mean, everybody had looked up to him, not just family people in the church it, it, it affected a lot of people and uh, jane and Glyn came home for that christmas and said that i should go back with them um thinking i was going back for me uh, and so we booked it on the last day of that year and on the first of january 2003 my dad died but i was with my dad and we felt that it was okay to still go that we, we would miss the funeral, but it was still okay. That, again, was God doing a miraculous thing to get us to know that, actually. And so um, so I flew out thinking that I was going out there to you know get over my problems. Um, oh, by the way, I, I was losing the house to pay for the business and the husband as well. So everything that he was going at that point. Um, And um, what was most precious to me? Because I think that was one of Chris's questions months ago on something. What's the most precious thing you've got? And actually, the most precious thing I had at the time was my books that I'd written, the words Mm. in that God had given me. Um, So I could really answer that one. Um, So, yeah, when I was out there, um, we found that the person that had been left in charge while they were in England had been stealing from us. And at that point, we'd not built school or anything like that. At that point, we'd been, we'd started to feed the children and we had been putting some of the kids um, because you couldn't go to the primary unless you'd done nursery. And so we were hiring places and getting these kids like 12 13 year old who've never been to nursery never been to school and we were doing nursery with this kind of kid and so um, that was where we were at at that time and uh, but this guy that we thought we could trust obviously was stealing from us and so god just like you know it was obvious that's what god wanted me for like i had to be there um to let come it was just how god got me to that point <laughs> um when i got back to england after that i was actually still in our house with him um trying to tie up all the loose ends and um, getting rid of couches and stuff and getting rid of the house um but god gave me a picture and it was of a staircase and a kitchen and i knew it was somewhere up here because my other daughter emma um, and robin were here robin was the musical worship leader at st thomas's in lancaster and they had a, a little place out on the Caton road and she was just at home having babies at that time so that's where my grandchildren were so it was very nice of god to direct me to the grandchildren. And so it, it was, we came up uh, here. I, I looked at a place in Cape and it wasn't the place that God had shown me. And then we were going through Wharton and we called at this house It got just put a to let sign up. And it was exactly the picture that God had shown me the mm-hmm. staircase in the kitchen. I, I said to the man, I said, but I don't want it till about August cause I'm going to be in Africa. And now was uh, about March. And he said, oh, somebody's just phoned up and wants it between now and then. Um, so I didn't even have to pay a deposit because basically he would got somebody in and and that was it. I was just going to be there when I got back from Africa. So being out there for the first time on my own was scary. <laughs> Actually, Robin, my other son-in-law from from. Sent tees, actually brought a team out that year, which was that was a bit nice to have somebody there for a little mm. bit. And so, my job then we just bought the land and we had got the local builder. And obviously, I didn't know anything about the corruption or anything like that at the time. And so, we just believed everything. And so, I was down at this building site watching him build and just checking what he was doing. Everything seemed right it wasn't till a long time later we found out that with the money we were giving him and the stuff he was buying that all matched up but meanwhile he was building his wife another school somewhere else um, you know so several years later i had to re-roof the school because he'd not put all the trusses in that kind of stuff you know but it, we didn't know much in the early days mm. <clears throat> um, we opened school We opened, we, we, the upstairs of what you've seen it is the orphanage. And then downstairs was prime uh, nursery and primary. And we opened school officially in the January of 04. And we had the proper official opening in the February. So again, I was out for that. And um, that was so exciting. I was hanging up all kinds of, you know, whirly things and balloons and, Glyn can't see any sense in that. But to me, I'm like, let's make it pretty, you know. Um, So there's times when me and Glyn clash. (laughs) Um, When we're both there, we're doing the accounts and we're straight on the accounts. But as for my doing crazy stuff, that's not Glyn at all. So we clash a bit on that. And Jane's like the referee in the middle. Um, But we work well together normally. (laughs) um yeah so some other people came out some friends of ours came and at that official opening in the February we actually walked round the property next door and and just walked around the parameter claiming it for God but the locals didn't know we'd done that we just did it ourselves now that property next door which is now our high school That was an apartment. It was two apartment blocks and a swimming pool and a bar. And we'd actually prayed for God to shut it down before we were building school because we didn't want the kids being next to a bar. So God had shut it down, but it was still empty. And um, so the man that owned (laughs) it wanted to sell us it. We had miraculously got a load of money to buy it. Um, But the powers that be that hated our guts wanted to stop us and so that was another crazy story so yeah so I was there during the normally they're May June July to let Jane and Glynn either come back here to go around the churches that support us or or then go to Canada or whatever and uh, Glynn's parents were not Christians so Glenn had to make sure he came home regularly because they actually disowned him at one bit for being stupid and doing missionary stuff rather than having a real job and a real life. Um, and so he, he was very careful on how he looked after his mum and dad um, and his brother. So in 2005, um, I was out there and so the, these men came to the office about the property next door. But at all I just found out that one of the kids... In our primary, I'd had a dream seeing kids coming out of that next door in uniform. So I'm thinking, yeah, come on. So these big guys came in saying, uh, uh, you know, oh, what you're paying? And I said the price, oh, we can sell it for more than that. And I just went, go on then, sell it for more than that. I'm like, you know, they don't know the teching God on. And so <laughs> obviously, they, they couldn't sell it. And so by the time we did officially get it, the thing is, we do everything legally. And doing everything legally in a country that's not really legal, you know, all kinds of stuff happens. So it took quite a while. And the other thing that happened as well was I met a a young lady called Charlene. She'd come to help in another organisation that wasn't looking after her very well. So they'd said, oh, go and find Maureen. So she (laughs) found me, or I found her. We found each other, I think, down a road one day. You know, when you're two white people and everybody's black, you do kind of stand out. (laughs) So... um, I met Charlene, and uh, so she still stayed at where she was, but she came to me every day, and I fed her. (laughs) And uh, so one day she said to me, "What you know, what love, how have we got? So I said, I've got this other son-in-law that was musical worship leader, and she said, oh, my dad's a pastor, and we are just looking for a worship leader in our church in Canada. So I sent a message to my daughter saying that, you know, I met this,
0: this
1: lady from this church and she wrote back timing or what i didn't know what that meant but she actually said that she said to god that day i need to know today if you want us in canada or not they had been looking at going somewhere else and then that had all fizzled out so you know it was just like this door opened for them so on the 1st of december of 05 I was flying out with my sister and brother-in-law to Africa and they were flying to Canada with my grandchildren who were two, four and six at the time. So my cost has been, I don't see them. They don't know me. So that cost has been hard, but I think that's why God used me in that bit of the plan really. (laughs) Um, And then, so again, my sister and brother-in-law coming out with me, which was brilliant. Um, I was flying out at the beginning of December and our academic year goes from the beginning of January. And so I'd better hurry up, not I? <laughs>
0: Keep going. Um,
1: the, so basically, um, I'd got one month to turn this building into a high school. It was so exciting. All I knew was that we needed like laboratory equipment and all this kind of stuff. And I didn't know where on earth we were going to get it from. And you couldn't write a check. Everything was in cash. And you didn't know. You couldn't trust anybody. And it was just absolutely manic. But I managed to find some laboratory desks and chairs and stuff. And then one of the teachers came in one day and said, oh, I don't know where we're going to get the laboratory, you know, the pipettes and all that, whatever they're called. Uh, Don't know where we're going to get that from. And I said, oh, God's got a plan, you know, and I didn't didn't know. But then the next day, this guy came in and said, oh, he said, I didn't know, but the the landlord of where he lived, his job is to distribute laboratory equipment. And so we could order that and then we could pay him with a cheque. So just things like that was absolutely mind-blowing. So yeah. the, um, the January of 06, we opened high school. But we'd only put in our kiddies who'd left Standard 8 the year before and we'd put somewhere else, we brought them back. And then the kiddies that had just left then, we'd add them. So we opened high school with just two years, and normally it's four years. So at least that gave us a bit of time for exam purposes and what have you. Um, during 07 that was really hard time for me during the Christmas of 07 because that was a lot of fighting you know, it was very tribal um, it was elections and everything and people were getting killed all around. I had to stay in and I took people in uh, but it wasn't easy it was mm. uh, yeah, a lot of killings and everything uh, but came through that now We went to plot three and then plot four. We realised how good God had been to us in the first lot of plots, in the fact that the first plots had got walls around them. The next lots hadn't. We bought the next plot that, and um, then the locals came actually fighting us, physically fighting us. So again, it's like we're living out near Maya, because the the guys that we've got to do the job they ran away, and I don't know if people remember how big Glenn is. He's very small. And he, he had a big cut, a big he had a problem with that when we first met him. <laughs> but he, uh, God is using him to go up against these big black guys, going like, "Give me my stuff back," you know. And so it literally was living near Maya at that time. But we got that plot. We built more classrooms for high school. Uh, but then the next plot got worse. <laughs> um, the next plot we wanted for a football field that was my timing and uh, so because it took longer to you know to get all the legal stuff done the bad guys had come in again cut that up or divided it up into four sections and sold it off but well like you know but it's legally ours so I had to go and play the innocent little old white lady and I had to go to the DO and I had to say you know, but if you know who these thugs are that are doing it, then can't you do something about it? Well, the fact is he was in, oh, I shouldn't be saying this, it's, he was in with the thugs, basically. I am careful oh. what I say. Um, and so I had to fight the DO, then the DC, and then we went into another guy who kept us waiting for a whole day. And then eventually they had to agree that our paperwork was legal. Uh, meanwhile, we'd made a little door into that next plot and I took the children in and I said to the children, I said, look at this plot. This is God wants us to have this as a football field. I said, but the bad people won't let us. I said, let's pray. And these kiddies, I'm not kidding. They were going like this and I'm looking up at God smiling down on them. saying, you know, this is our football field anyway. So, um, when we did get the permission from the DO, the DC and all that, lot, um, That morning, that I woke up, again I got got a word from God, an absolutely silly word from God. God said to me, "Where's your trainers?" And I'm like, "What? (laughs) I only wear my trainers when I'm going there or coming back. Don't wear them there because it's too jolly hot." But that morning, God said, "Where's your trainers?" So I went and found my trainers. I put them on, and when we opened the the gateway, then that we'd made um it had been rainy season and what had grown was just all overgrown everywhere i mean i would not have been safe there would have been snakes and everything in there i would not have been safe saving my flip flops so i wore my trainers every time i was on that land until we got it right two people did build uh illegally on that land and they're still on there and we've still not got that back (laughs) um But we built then another house, a big house on the top end of that. So it's at the far end of the football field, but it's on the main road then. And so that was supposed to be, we were building that for our orphans that were finishing in the orphanage. Uh, The powers that be in the government wanted to throw the kids out at 16. You can imagine, the kids didn't start nursery till they were 12. So we got them, you know, 20 odd still in school. So we said that, uh, we wouldn't let them go out of the orphanage until they'd finished their form four exams. And then we were building this house to put them in until they um, you know, could stand up on their own two feet, basically, just give them a year or so. So that's what that was for. But we got it up to high, uh, high level and the exchange rate just went stupid and we couldn't continue, have no more money. And so um, I was there And these two ladies had come out a while previous and they brought a suitcase with bras in for the ladies in the village. And another lady from Nottingham was there at that time. So when she got back to Nottingham, she said she was going to do something called knickers and natter. So she had this church in Nottingham had now got these suitcases full of knickers that had to come out, but we didn't know how we were going to get out. And so then I get this phone call From this lady, and she said, "Oh, I'm from that church in Nottingham, and my sister's booked us a a trip to Mombasa. Can can we come and see you?" So I said, "Yes." I said, "Just let me know when you arrive at the hotel. Let me know, and I'll sort it out." So they arrived on the Tuesday. They rang me up, and I worked out the hotel that they were in was on North Coast, and we're South Coast. You know, got the ferry in between. So I said, "Okay, yeah, I can send somebody to pick you up." So. A few minutes later, they rang me back and they said, Oh, we've just been downstairs saying we're coming to a school. And another woman that we don't know has said, Can I come? So I said, Yeah, she can come as well. So that was three people that I didn't know come in. They arrived on the Thursday. And like I say, I sent somebody to go and pick them up. And they arrived just as we were doing lunch. So a lot of people like it then because they, they like giving the food out to the kids and all that kind of stuff. And then our choir was practicing in the high school part so I took this lady that I didn't know into this part to listen to the kids singing in the choir and then she said can I go in your office so I said okay so she said well what are you doing now what what do you need I said well I think we need about 27 and pound to finish off this building that we're building she said can I give you 30,000 I'm like Ugh. so I was gobsmacked I mean how God's provided has been absolutely mind-blowing Um, yeah where am I up to now yeah it's been it's been really difficult the last few years because instead of everybody being grateful they started to not be grateful which is same as the stories in the Old Testament Mm. you know and when God is angry with them I was frightened that God might start not giving us the money that we need because of their behavior and so i was feeling sorry for god i'm like how can these people do this don't they realize i suppose i realize it most because i'm involved with the money coming in at this end and, and the money going out at that end and like it's a miracle every month i remember margaret asking me you know like how do you do it and i'm like god just does miracles every month just mind-blowing I mean, you know, the kids are sponsored, but that don't cover all our bills. We employ over 70 local people. That's uh, guards on the gate, um, teachers, cooks, uh, office staff. I mean, we've just made such an impact in that whole area because we're a missionary organization. We've not gone to build a school. You know, we've gone to help people and giving them jobs is how you help people. And so when the people started to be very, very ungrateful, I was getting really upset. And so what they did was they, the, some of the guys were intimidating some of the women. They even told one woman that we'd take a house off that we gave built for her years ago and give her, you know. And they were just scary. And, and they actually then brought in uh, the union people. And we had to sit there listen to these union people. Oh, I got to be careful, okay. We had to sit there and listen to them say horrible things about us and I said that I would take the notes and I'm shaking like this, my heart's pounding like this and Jane and Glenn are this and we couldn't defend ourselves. Again it's like being like Jesus was. We just had to learn so much from him to keep your mouth shut basically. And when we got home, we just stood in our kitchen and we were devastated. And this lady came to our back kitchen door and just said, my heart's gone out to you, you know, and it's like, it was awful. And it just went, was going on and on and on. And what was worse was one of the bad guys was the church leader. So that was affecting church as well. So all we wanted to do was cry. (laughs) Um, well, then things got worse <laughs> and um, um, then we, we found out that teachers were, were not doing the very good job and um, that some of them had lied about their qualifications. And so we sent a memo out on the Monday that they've got to bring in all their paperwork, even though we would got copies, they, they bought them, you know. And so some teachers didn't turn up the next day because they knew we were onto them. And then, then on the Wednesday, me and Jane and Glenn had gone to do shopping because we have to shop for everybody and school and everything, you know. And uh, we, were, we were down there when uh, Mr. Ben, who's was our manager, rang to say that even the headmaster hadn't come in. And uh, so we, we kind of just said to God, we'd either got to pack in, give the school to the government or God had got to do a miracle. Mm. So you can guess which one we chose. God really did have to do a miracle, and so Glenn contacted somebody that we know, and he said, "By Friday, you will have somebody." Well, that looked impossible. That night, uh, we're having a meal, um, and Jane's phone rings. Now, Jane's phone had been ringing all day because we'd had a Down syndrome baby born with a hole in the heart. And we were trying to sort all that out. So her phone had been ringing a lot, but this time her phone was ringing and she was going, Ooh, 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 on the other end. And it was this woman offering to come to help us. She came the next day. She was more qualified than anything we've ever seen before. She'd not only got qualifications in education, but she's got it in uh, commu- uh, community development and all kinds of things. She was same as them, but she was same as us. She had got, like, a know-how on her that I couldn't see how anybody as qualified as her had ever come to anywhere like us, because, like, you know, we're in a rough area. Um, But she said that God had told her a year ago that she'd got to look after her own son and help him, and then God had got a special job for her she'd just taken that son to boarding school when we, our other friend had contacted to say, this is a school that needs you. And so she had to come. So she is absolutely brilliant. She came to be head of high and she made them work. Um, The teachers hated her. The kids hated her. Everybody hated her, but she didn't care. She just did what she was there to do, which was Turn the place round. She got it absolutely amazingly, and so when I was there in the summer of 2019, we talked to her and we asked her to take on nursery and primary as well. So she'd like conquered high and got that right. So like, let's take you back down there and see how you can what you can do with them. And so those teachers then played up. So even when I was there last January, which was the last time I was there, they were still playing up because they didn't want to be told what to do. They didn't want to be checked on. They didn't want to be, you know, and all that, that she's really good at. Um, and so she, she was just amazing. And, but then COVID hit. And then we have miraculously paid wages the whole time nobody else has been paid in that whole area. Um, you know, I, mean, I think we're the biggest employer in, in our area anyway, but like nobody, and we, we pay we pay all the right taxes and everything for them and all this kind of stuff. What we don't provide is uh, like a pension, but the government does something kind of. And um, so, um, yeah, that's a bit complicated anyway but they do get they don't get a pension like we get they just get a bit of money at the end when they do finish finish the job um anyway what am i doing now uh, yeah so the teachers wanted to talk to jane and glenn and just say thank you for paying wages but thank you also for putting her in the position they did when they did because because she has got a lot of know-how, she knew how to motivate the teachers to get work out on phones to the people. Um, and if people didn't have a phone, the, a neighbour would have one and all this kind of stuff. So we've actually been still trying to teach kids during the COVID time. So everything's kind of come right in the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, except that I'm not there. I'm here. <laughs> um another thing that kind of did happen was i was worried about Janie's um passport it was running out um you know the, your 10-year passport was running out and they couldn't get back so they sent it with some organization some what you call them the travel people um, oh, i forgot forgotten what it's called so anyhow they managed to send it and, and then it came here and then the old one came, and then I managed to get into Lancaster and get it sent back, and so she has physically got it. So she's got to get the stamps put in, a work permit and thing put in the new passport. But, yeah, in all that, Glyn's mum's died. Um, they had to put Glenn's dad in a home because he's got dementia, and Glyn's brother's not a Christian, but he's dealt with things at this end, and Glyn's had to deal with whatever he could at that end. So, they want to get home at some point to actually, they've had to um, rent out mum and dad's house down in Reading. Um, So, yeah, so where that leaves me, I don't know. (laughs) Mm. So, that's that's my story.
0: (laughs) That's really, 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 really good. It's um, just um, very honest through the ups and the downs, but uh, really pointing out to God's faithfulness in that, which is really um, what it should be about. Right now, how can we pray um, for both you and for them out there? Um,
1: Well, I think what is good is that we've got people in place now, like this new headmistress, um, and Ben and Brenda and people in the office, I think it could be left. I mean, it's taken 20 years to get to this point. I think that Jane and Glynn could come back without me being there. I think that they would prefer if I was there. Um, mm. They kind of look at me as a grandmother figure, you know, all the people. Um, so we just don't know what's what's going to happen, really. Just don't know. Um so yeah.
0: <laughs> it's great. So at the moment are they going in into school, the kids?
1: Um, well, yeah. I mean you know how England has actually been able to still do exams at the right time by the teachers, but you can't do that in a country like that. No. So um, the the kids they've had to reset everything. They're going to do the exams that they should have done in November. They're going to do them in March. So the kids have come back, but it's, you know, it's not good. Like I said, we've had to cut all the desks and chairs in half. So you're getting one kid to one, hmm. except the little ones, they can still be. There. Hmm. We've had to have these three big marquee things made. Hmm. So we're going to put kids in marquees as well as classrooms and, uh, so, yeah, and they won't let us feed them yet because we've got to jump no. through hoops with that. Uh, but Jane has discussed better menus with the people to try and get the more balanced diet for the kids. Um, but, yeah, so it's yeah, it's just a big unknown, really, isn't it? <laughs> it
0: is. But God, it God is.
1: is amazing at um, yeah, looking after us.
0: Mm, absolutely. Well, before before we pray, um, just wonder if anybody else has any questions that they want to ask. Can you tell us about the acacia tree, Maureen?
1: Oh, oh yeah, I said remember. Well, <laughs> yeah, well
0: remember, Jeff. Well remember.
1: Yeah, good one. Uh, yeah. Well, the funny thing was, I, I have been in the middle of nowhere, where there's a load of acacia trees, when it, and there is a Maasai tribe in the middle of nowhere, and that's when I felt. Thankful to God that God said, look at the acacia tree and not live in them with them. Mm. And so the bit that I do look at is when I get to the airport that's in Nairobi, my last flight to Mombasa, that has got a row of acacia trees and I could actually mm. sit at the airport, look at this row of acacia trees and think, yeah, I'm nearly there. Mm. So uh, the word look was important as well as the acacia tree. Mm
0: hmm. Amen. Definitely. Well remember Jeff. Mm. Any other questions?
1: Yeah one of the things that I kind of forgot to say was when we put Jane when we took her to Heathrow when she was going out for the very first time on her own she was she never really would go anywhere on her own but and so she sat on the plane praying for God to give her the right person to sit next to her. And this Asian lady came in the sari and everything and uh, sat next to Jane. And Jane's like, oh, God, what are you playing at here? You know? And this lovely lady said to her, do you know you've got to pick your case up in Nairobi and carry it somewhere else? And she said, no, nobody's ever told me that. She says, well, stay with me, love, and I'll look after you. And she says, and if nobody picks you up in Mombasa, my husband's coming to pick us up. So she'll yeah. take you there as well. So, you know, all that anxiety that a kid would have. You know, she knew that Mm. God was going to get her there. (laughs) Mm.
0: That's great. That's great.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, let's pray. Let's pray. What what were you going to say? Yeah, I was going to say the other
1: thing was as well, that the very first time that I went out with my husband, um, I felt totally inadequate because Mm. I'd had such a lovely, cushy life. Christian cushy life Mm. I couldn't help anybody Mm. and it wasn't until obviously I went through all the bad stuff Mm. and one day I was in the village with the ladies because we've always had the ladies meeting in the village on a Thursday and I'd been crying with the ladies one day and then I was walking back to school from there when I felt God say this is why so you're same as them that was still hard Mm. but uh, they do relate to me because of that
0: yeah. Did you give me any verses of scripture, Maureen?
1: Uh, I can't remember. No, can't it's okay. Remember, I can't remember a lot of things. That that's worrying me really. That my brain's going a bit. But it's you know it's that going over seventy. You all know that as well, will not you? Oh, and no. the ones that's nearly seventy in a few in a week or so. <laughs> yeah, it's been tough being seventy. <laughs>
0: Uh. okay well uh, I'll just ask Ian to stop recording um, and then we're going to get into